0: Hello and welcome to our Reorg Europe podcast. My name is Luca Rossi and I'm a senior reporter here at Riorg. With me I have financial analysts Lawrence Fitzpatrick, Nor Siher, and Rob Sommers. This week we will take a look at some names which have been on top of investors' agenda in this very volatile market. They are Dia, the Spanish supermarket discount chain. The metals business, Nearstar, and Galapagos, which is one of the most popular credits among our subscribers. Loris, can you talk me through DIA and the current situation of the Spanish
1: group? Yeah, so uh, DIA is a uh, Spanish listed hard discount supermarket chain that um, owns and franchises stores across both. Iberia and South America. Now, in terms of the breakdown, roughly two thirds of sales are generated in Spain and Portugal, and with a f- f- further third coming from operations in Brazil and Argentina. Now, over the last 12 to 18 months, has endured a pretty significant deterioration in its operations. Uh, and this has been manifested in Iberia with um, a loss of market share to Mercadona and Lidl. And that's also meant declining gross sales and decline and pressure on margins as well. And to compound matters further, uh, DIA's South American businesses have suffered substantial uh, FX headwinds, which have put sales um, down in the region of 20% uh, year over year in the first half of this year. So this pressure on both fronts has meant that DIA is likely to see its full year adjusted EBITDA anywhere between 25 and 35% lower uh, than it was last year, and in technical breach of their 3.5 uh, turns of leverage bank loan covenants. Uh, further to this, D is also facing uh, a pretty significant maturity cliff as it has around 485 million uh, euros of debt maturing in the next 12 months. And this includes uh, 306 million in bonds, which mature in July, and a further 180 million in bank debt. The company also has some pretty large working capital needs which have pressured the cash position over the last 18 months. So DIA has typically made extensive use of reverse factoring to manage its payables, but banks are believed to have cancelled the remaining availability on these facilities. DIA has 1.3 billion in payables due as at the end of the third quarter, and that's roughly the same as the total net debt position of 1.4 billion, uh, and thus the potential for further cash leakage is, is substantial. Is the company trying
0: to do something to address its uh, financial stress?
1: Yeah, so in light of the substantially lower EBITDA generation, the capital structure doesn't feel sustainable. uh, And Deere clearly does not have liquidity to meet its obligations over the next 12 months. Um, So the company is trying to get a rights issue of 600 million away, which is very substantial in the context of the market cap, which is below 300 million as it stands. Um, So all eyes at the moment are on the largest shareholder, Letter One, uh, which is an investment vehicle controlled by Mikhail Fridman, uh, which owns a 29% share in the company. Uh, and so is attempting to execute the rights issue, uh, which has apparently been underwritten by Morgan Stanley, subject to lengthy conditions uh, in concert with a debt refinancing deal. Now, DEA have not asked for any haircut to debt principal as part of their debt refinancing negotiation. In contrast, though, letter one is weighing up whether to support the rights issue and is rumoured to be making debt haircuts a key tenet of their support. So at this juncture, the key question is whether or not letter one is able to commit um, to the rights issue.
0: Cool. Uh, How is the situation likely to develop from this point? Is letter one backing uh, Dia's capital increase or what are the other possible scenarios we are going to see?
1: So in the words of uh, Dia, they expect negotiations surrounding debt refinancing to be concluded shortly. Um, Simply put, if the refinancing just terms out some of the bank debt, there'll be a big question uh, regarding their ability to get the rights issue away. However, in this instance, should they be able to do it or should they be successful, even with no debt principal reduction, the substantial cash injection would drop leverage below two turns in the near term and would clearly give DIA time to effect a turnaround in the business. So in that scenario, uh, the 306 million bonds due in July would almost certainly uh, be redeemed and not refinanced. However, in reality, um, despite not knowing the specific terms of Morgan Stanley support, um, it does feel like Letter One support is likely to be uh, critical. Um, key to their decision making uh, will likely be an assessment of the long-run value of the business, uh, which is facing pressure in in both its key markets and also likely needs to invest to upgrade some of its stores. Um, so, to this end, it feels unlikely that Letter One will view an injection of a substantial amount of capital simply to show up the balance sheet as likely to, to capture significant or sufficient value for themselves. And thus they are likely to be exerting pressure on the banks to accept haircuts in return for uh, the equity injection. Should the rights issue fail, uh, deals likely to run out of cash uh, on or before uh, July 2019 as, as working capital outflows will likely continue a pace, uh, given what would clearly be an uncertain period for suppliers as well as the unavailability uh, of the reverse factoring facility. So in this scenario, it would be extremely challenging to execute a debt refinancing and thus restructuring involving either equitization, debt haircuts or bankruptcy proceedings are likely to beckon.
0: Uh, Lawrence, how do you personally see the situation uh, playing out?
1: Ultimately, though, this does feel like a binary situation at present. If DIA are able to execute the rights issue, this will go a long way to right-sizing the balance sheets and the bonds should trade upwards, uh, more so if this is accompanied by any meaningful debt haircut. However, if the rights issue fails, a debt restructuring or bankruptcy looms and this will clearly entail downside for the bonds.
0: Thanks, Lawrence. Nor, can you give us a brief introduction to Nirster?
2: Yes, so Nairstar is a multi metals business with a leading position in zinc and growing position in other metals such as lead and copper. It mainly operates in two business segments, metals processing and mining. The trigger event for the company is the repayment of 340 million euros senior unsecured bonds which are due in September next year. Refinancing of these bonds seems impossible due to the high leverage of 6.6 and cash burn in the last five years. The management has already ruled out using 1 billion of its liquidity to repay the bonds as most of it is just restricted for working capital. Apart from this, Nairstar's business has also effect, been affected by low zinc prices and historically low treatment charges, which are driven by an oversupply of zinc smelters. Both of these have squeezed Nairstar's margins. Under these conditions, the likelihood of any new money seems minimal. The company has hired Morgan Stanley to perform a capital structure review, and since then, a group of bondholders and the largest shareholder, Traffic Gura, has also hired their respective advisors. The 2019 bonds have traded down to 43 to 45 and the 2024 bonds are in their low 40s as of December 12th. They were just trading above 90s in September.
0: Interesting. What are the latest developments of this situation?
2: Nairstar has recently signed a $650 million facility with Trafigura, which has replaced the existing $250 million facility. The facility is not available to service debt and is secured by financial guarantees and pledges over fixed assets, inventories and receivables. As this facility is secured and ranks above the bondholders, the signing of this facility is no good news for the bondholders. Many see it as Trafigura's attempt to position itself for restructuring, which has left bondholders worse off. According to Riog's waterfall analysis, bondholders can expect to recover 35% of their value in the base case scenario. It is assuming EBITDA uplift from Port Perry and Myrafall mine is materialized and the drawdown on secured facilities remain at their levels as of September 30th. However, we should keep in mind that Nearstar has faced increased working capital needs since the third quarter, which increases the likelihood of additional drawdown on secured facilities. Bondholders can face a complete wipeout if the debt under secured facilities increases by 300 million euros.
0: Wow, this seems uh, pretty bad for the bondholders. What are the options uh, currently available to them?
2: So there are three main options available to the bondholders, which are an amend and extend of the maturity date of the notes, a debt-for-debt exchange where new bonds replace the existing ones, or a debt-for-equity swap with 2019 notes being exchanged for liquidity. However, an amend and extend would not solve Nearstar's fundamental cash issues, but would rather just push the problem further down the lane. A debt-for-debt exchange seems unlikely given Nearstar's high leverage of 6.6 and a history of cash burn in the last five years. Out of these three options, a debt-for-equity swap in which the 2019 bonds are either fully or partially converted to equity seems like the most realistic option. A debt for equity swap would reduce the debt burden and interest rate burden on NearStar, and it would give bondholders some equity upside in the future. However, this would require a consensual deal between the company, unsecured bondholders, lenders and Trafigura. Trafigura is likely to resist any such equitization as it will dilute the Trafigura's existing 24.6% stake. Some say that a debt for equity swap coupled with a private placement for Trafigura would be one solution. And in order to pressure Trafigura, bondholders can also argue that as Trafigura was a shareholder, it's $650 million facility should be considered as equity rather than secured debt.
0: Thanks Noor. Rob, Galapagos has been very popular among our subscribers can you give us an overview of the situation?
3: Thanks, Luca. Galapagos is a German heat exchanger's business that was carved out of GEA Group. It was sold to Triton in 2014 in a 1 billion euro leveraged buyout that was financed with 775 million of bonds. Shortly thereafter, in 2015, the notes started coming under pressure on the back of lower oil and gas prices. Since then, the group sold one of its three businesses, Denkohapel, to another Triton portfolio company, Flack Woods, and investors are closely monitoring the sponsor's intentions for the remaining Kelvian and Anexio segments. As background, the group's senior secured notes are currently trading at around seventy, while its subordinated notes are in the mid twenties.
0: Interesting. So what's going on with the uh, Galapagos?
3: There are questions about the group's operational outlook, with management undertaking a long-standing restructuring program. Nonetheless, EBITDA continues to fall every year. A part of the story is that there are no immediate triggers. The bonds start to mature only in June 2021, and, so far, the company has been able to generate enough cash to pay its core costs. That said, there is one maintenance covenant, a minimum EBITDA covenant in the group's RCF agreement and this has been an issue.
0: What are the concerns around the Covenant compliance?
3: Galapagos breached this on December 31, 2017. As a cure, sponsor Triton contributed 22 million of equity, and the RCF test level was reduced to 80 million euros, with waivers until the end of 2018. Note that the facility is only tested quarterly if more than 40% of the 75 million revolver is drawn. Now, interestingly, the company is at risk of a further breach. Its normalized EBITDA, which excludes some adbacks for covenant calculation purposes, was only $37 in the first nine months of this year. On the group's third quarter call last week, Management said it is confident that it will generate 75 million of full year normalized EBITDA, therefore, implying a fourth quarter contribution of about 38 million. With ad backs, this should allow the company to meet the covenant test level, but it's uncertain if it will actually meet this threshold.
0: You talked about some of the operational issues about the company. What are those issues investors should be more aware of?
3: Well, Luca, there are many, but I'll focus on three. First, and a big one, is management. The group had a new CEO and CFO join in the first half of 2016, so about two years after the buyout when things were already challenging. They were then replaced in late 2017 and early 2018, so around the time of the covenant breach. Then, in October this year, the group's new CFO resigned. These frequent changes raise real questions about leadership. Another issue relates to the sustainability of any turnaround. It is true that performance at the larger of the two remaining divisions, Calvion, has improved this year. However, this has largely been on the back of improved orders from oil and gas customers. And, with the recent fall in energy prices, it is unclear if this performance will continue. Third, there are questions about the future of the Inexio segment which focuses on cooling for power plants. Management is trying to pivot this business away from dry cooling and towards providing services and creating new technologies. However, the business generates negative EBITDA and to fix this, it is trying to divest its dry cooling activities. However, it's possible that we'll have to incur the cost of shutting these down or paying a third party to take them on and we are not sure of Inexio's margins pro forma the disposal.
0: Is there any other issue that uh, it's worth flagging?
3: Well, one issue is that in an insolvency, a 375 million super senior guarantee facility will rank above the claims of senior secured noteholders in a waterfall. Now, there's also the question of how far Triton will go to support the business. As mentioned, it has purchased one of Galapagos's three segments and contributed funds towards curing a covenant breach. In addition, it purchased US based heat exchanger manufacturer Rokora Group and combined it with Galapagos, providing a boost to EBITDA. Nonetheless, there may be limits to Triton's willingness and ability to help, especially if it recognizes the need to restructure the business.
0: Thanks, Rob. And thanks to everyone who listened to our podcasts in 2018. We will be back again in January. Happy Christmas.